A.W. Tozier says the most important thing about anybody is what they think about God. Do you know that is the most important thing about you? And it's really important that we fill in this blank well. I was wondering how some other people filled in the blank uh, this week, and I was looking uh, just online, came across this survey that w- came out last year in 2022, and it talked about how other people filled in this blank. And it was a survey of, listen to this, evangelicals. All right, those who would identify as evangelical Christians were surveyed, and everybody who answered this survey, remember, is evangelical Christian. And here's some of the things they said. God, uh, here was a statement, and you had to fill in, do you agree, strongly agree, somewhat agree, not sure, disagree, whatever. God is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. You know how many people agreed with that? 50%. Which means that 50% of evangelicals would fill in the blank that says God is not perfect. Fifty about fifty percent filled in the God learns and adapts to different circumstances. About fifty percent strongly agreed with that. They would fill in the blank. God can change. I should have changed the phrasing there, right? God is can change. I've looked at that slide so many times and I didn't notice it till now. I cannot change that slide. But 50% of people believe that God can change. 60% of people, only over half of people, believe that the Holy Spirit is a force but not a personal being. And nearly 70% believe that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. We could keep going here, but it's really important how you fill in this blank. Because if you fill in the blank this way, what happens when you go through trials and you think God is not perfect? Well, God must have screwed up. How important is this when you are filled with shame and discover once again how broken you are? If you believe God can change his mind about you rather than that God is unchanging, How important is it when you go through suffering to believe that God, you are not talking to the ceiling and and the helper that God left is not a force, but that he is personal and he is with you and that he cares about you. How important is it when you are experiencing doubts about your faith to know that this is not a smorgasbord, to just choose whatever little God you want, but there, there is one God and he is like no other. It is really important that we fill in this blank well. So, so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to try to fill in this blank. Now, now i, I got to say two things before we begin filling in this blank. Two things. One, what, what we fill in the blank with today is not going to be all-encompassing. It never is. You cannot totally, completely fill in the blank and define who God is. St. Augustine. I mean, if anybody could fill in that blank completely, wouldn't it be a thinker like St. Augustine? He, he was walking along the beach one day and he was pondering the majesty of God. Mulling it over in his head again and again. He took a long walk on the beach and he came to this boy who had dug a, a, a hole in the sand and the boy had grabbed a seashell and was running to the ocean and was filling the seashell with water and would run over and dump water in the hole. And then he would run back to the ocean, fill it up with water and then, and then dump it back in the hole. And Aristotle, uh, St. Augustine, sorry, said, said to the boy, what are you doing? And the boy said, well, I'm, I'm going to pour the sea in this hole. 
And St. Augustine, he thought, oh, he says, that's what I've been trying to do. As I ponder the majesty of God, that's what I've been trying to do. I've been standing at the ocean of infinity, and I have tried to grasp it with my finite mind. Whenever we come to try to find who God is, we've got to understand he is far bigger than we ever imagined. We will never be able to fill this blank in complete. The best we can do is grab a shell and start spooning some water, which is not to say we shouldn't do it. That's what we have to do. It's just know that as you begin to fill in this blank that you will never be done. You have your entire life to keep filling the hole up, but it's never going to be full because God is always more. And so one other thing, this is not going to be all-encompassing this morning. Here's the other thing about this. This is not just going to be academic this morning. So my point today is not to outline a doctrinal theology. I want to say that theology is important. We were in our pastor's meeting this week, and Pastor Phil shared this phrase he had heard, doxology without theology is idolatry. What does that mean? Doxology, praise, worship of God without theology, without a clear understanding, not a full understanding, but a clear understanding of who the God is that I'm worshiping, it just can lead to idolatry. I'm just worshiping a God of my own imagination, not the the one true God of creation and scripture. So theology, doctrine, is essential. It's vital. We actually have a doctrinal statement that's out there. It's called What We Believe. It's on our website. I also have printouts out there you can grab on your way out. Because doctrine is vitally important. But this morning, my point is not just to talk about doctrine, because doctrine, as vitally as important as it is, it is not enough. Because here's, here's the opposite of this. Theology without doxology is religion. If I have a clear view of God, but it does not lead me to worship, all I'm left with is cold religion. Or worse, do you know how, who had a really clear view? Maybe one of the clearest views of who Jesus was when he walked this earth? They called, a, called him Jesus, son of the living God. Right away, somebody recognized him as that. You know who it was? A demon. A demon. James says this, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. See, it's not enough to get our, doxolo- our theology right if it doesn't motivate us, if it doesn't bring us to actually worship. You know what set Jesus' followers apart? It was not that they had a clear view all the time of who Jesus was, just that they were going to follow him anyway, as confused as they sometimes were. Demons had a very clear view of who Jesus was, but they stood opposed to him. So it is important that we get our view of God right, but it's got to lead us to worship or it's useless. God will lead us to worship. So that's, that's where I want to go this morning. We're going to use Isaiah 40 to talk about who God is. If you want to, you can turn to Isaiah 40 because underst- an understanding of who God is should always drive us towards a response. And Isaiah 40, this is nowhere more clear in Scripture to me than in Isaiah f- chapter 40. He's speaking to a people who need comfort, a people who need help, a people who are depressed, a people who are suffering judgment, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. And so he brings a word to these people. 
and it's good news. You know what his word of good news is? Here's Isaiah 40, verse 9. It says, you who bring good news to Zion, go up high on a mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here's the good news. Here is your God. See, see here's the thing. If we're filling in this blank and it looks anything If it looks like anything, it should look like good news. If what you're filling in the blank with doesn't sound like or look like good news, you haven't looked hard enough. Look harder. Because who our God is, is good news for everyone, no matter where we're at. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So I just want to pray for our time, and then we're going to dive into Scripture. Would you bow your heads with me? Look at it, as Isaiah 40 says, there is a way that you make to visit your people, to display who you are. And you say, let every mountain be made low. God, if there is anything that is bigger in our minds than who you are, than your person, than your existence, than your presence in our lives, I pray that you would flatten it right now, Lord. And it says that every valley will be raised up. God, if there are any circumstances that uh, seem to be bringing us to a deep valley this morning, Lord, I pray that you would raise us up, that you would level us, that you would bring us up above those circumstances so that we might see clearly who you are and how it impacts our lives. God, we long to know you better. That's why we're here. We are here to know you better. And and Lord, we trust that as we know you better, it will change us. So God, I thank you for as majestic as you are, I thank you for making yourself known. God, we pray that you would just inspire us, awaken us to look harder at who you are, to look hard until it changes us this morning. It's in your name that we pray. The name of Jesus, the name above every name. And all God's people said, amen. So if you have your Bibles open to Isaiah 40, we're just going to walk through this. And what I've done, I'm just going to give you straight scripture here and give you a scope of what Isaiah 40 says that God is. And all I've put in advance of the verses is just a title, a description of who God is. And so we're going to start in Isaiah 40, Uh, verse 6. And Isaiah starts with this, God is eternal. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. God is sovereign. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. God is loving. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. God is omnipotent. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? With a breath of his hand marked off the heavens. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? 
or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance. God is all wise. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord uh, consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? God is worthy. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. God is holy. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. God is great. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. God is the king of kings. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted No sooner are they sown. No sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. A whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. God is greater. God is creator and sustainer. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my eagle, says the Holy Lord? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. And he's not just creator and sustainer of creation, but of us. Isaiah says, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. This is who our God is. And we can read all that, and it can just kind of wash over us, and our eyes can glaze over, right? Like, okay, I've had enough. I I get it. God's great. God's good. God's loving. And that can wash over us, and we can say that's great, and we can move on with our day. See, some of us sometimes, I, I think we stand at the ocean. I know I do this sometimes. I stand at the ocean, the edge of the ocean, on a Sunday morning or in my quiet time, and I let the waves wash over me. And then I walk away, and that's it. I don't even bother picking up a shell and just exploring a little bit deeper, a little bit further, a little, thinking a little bit more. See, you know what happens when we do that? This is what Isaiah happens. If we were to focus on who God is and really lean into that, Really look at what it means. He says this, even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope, those who wait, those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Anybody need that in their lives? Man, anybody weary? 
Anybody afraid you're going to faint because this is so long? Whatever you're going through is so long. And you need strength. Isaiah says if you lean into who God is, this is what you get. It's, it's to lead us ultimately to trust. And we can sit here and say, well, yeah, I trust the love of God. I trust the goodness of God. But then we walk away. And then when life hits us, man, it's shaky. It, it shakes us. Does life shake you sometimes? Do you, know the, do you know the thing about trust? Trust takes time. Trust takes time. And I wonder how many times in my life I look back on my life and I don't spend the time, yeah, I believe God is loving, but I don't spend the time actually looking at his love enough to trust it. I don't actually scoop it up to look at it enough to trust it. See, this is the difference between being a, a, a consumer and a connoisseur. You ever talk to, to a consumer about a good restaurant? Hey, you went to that restaurant last night? Last night? How was the chicken? Oh, it's good. It filled me up. It had done about five minutes. I was full. <laughs> so good. Okay. That's all there is to say about that, right? They just consumed it and then they left. Do you ever talk to a connoisseur, though, like a foodie? You talk to them about the meal they had? How was the chicken? Oh, it's good. That was good. No, 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 no. You don't understand. It was good. Like you put the bite in your mouth and it, it, it's just the right amount of tenderness. It was juicy. There was this, this lemon, but not too sweet, this flavor. And, and then as you continued to chew on it, there was like hints of oregano and thyme. I, I mean, they know their food. They appreciate it. You're like, I want some of that. I want to appreciate food like that. They savor it. Listen, folks, do we savor God? Or do we just, like, listen, God's love. Yep, God's love. And walk away. What's well, no wonder I don't trust the love of God if I haven't spent time with it. So listen, folks, we're going to look at a few of these traits of God. But here's your homework. Go home and sit with Isaiah 40 and allow the Lord to draw you to one verse, one aspect of who God is and savor it. Like, don't just walk away from the waves. Like, pick up, scoop a little bit, and you're never going to fill the hole, but just, just keep scooping. Get to know it a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. Because you know what happens if we don't? You know, demons know who God is, and they shudder. You know what I've been guilty of, my, in, of in my life? I know who God is, and I yawn. I sigh, shrug. Yeah, God's good, yeah. Walk away. Like, what would it look like if we savored? So let's savor. Let's savor. Let's take some time, just a little bit of time on a few of these aspects. And I encourage you in your life, if, if there's an, a way that you don't, I need to trust God's goodness more. Savor his goodness. Scoop it up. Look at it. Look at all the facets of it. There's more there than you've ever discovered. It's not just he's good, yawn. He's good. He is so good. Let me tell you about his goodness. Let me tell you about his holiness. God is holy, right? Verse 18 said, With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? God is holy. And I don't know, I grew up hearing about holiness, and maybe you heard holiness about this way, too, like this too. Like God is holy, and people would talk about it as if it's in opposition to every other aspect of who God is, right? Yeah, sure, God is loving, he's merciful, he's patient. Yeah, but don't forget, he's holy. His holiness is coming to get you. That's what it sounded like. That's not holiness. Maybe they, maybe they were talking about his righteousness. Maybe they were talking about some aspect of who God is. Yeah, we need to remember that, but he's holy. What does that mean that he's holy? 
Holy means set apart. It means separate. From everything else, God is separate from everything else. God is unique. Among anything else you have known, experienced, or heard of, God is unique. God is pure. He's untainted. God is exceptional. He's matchless. There really is nothing that can compare with God. God is in a class by himself. God is holy. So worship leader Matt Papa says when we talk about the holiness of God, he, he says one of the ways you could appreciate his holiness, like because we keep comparing him to things, we've kind of lost the idea that God is, God is different than anything else you have ever heard of. And, and one of the things he points us to to recognize God's holiness is that God is Trinity. God is Trinitarian. If you've been in church uh, maybe your whole life or maybe a, a, just a little bit, you've heard about this, that God is a trinity. The word trinity actually is not in the Bible, but it's a, it's a word that sums up one aspect of our belief about God, of what the Bible teaches is who God is. The Bible teaches it in passages like this. Genesis 1 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, in our likeness. Who's he talking to? I, I mean, he's, he's not using the royal we, because he never talks like that anywhere else in the Bible. So that's, if that's what he was doing, he would do that other places. But he doesn't do that. So he's not talking, talking using the royal we. He's not talking to angels. We're not made in the image of angels. He's talking within the Godhead. When we say Trinity, we mean one God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in Genesis 1, we get like to eavesdrop on a conversation between the Trinity. Here's another Here's another place that talks about the Trinity. Matthew chapter 3 says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, there's the Son, he went out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God. There's the Son and the Spirit descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Son, Spirit, Father, all one God in three persons. But the more you think about Trinity, the more mysterious it gets. Like one God, three persons. That's what we believe. Our, our what we believe statement out there for grace, the first statement on there says, we believe that the Godhead exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that these three are God. I mean, I mean boil that down. What we're saying is there is one God, only one. He exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each one of those persons are fully God. What, well, explain that a little more. Like, we've tried to explain what Trinity is. I, if you grew up in church, you've heard a lot of explanations about Trinity. I've heard that the Trinity is like an egg. God is like an egg. If you want to understand Trinity, it's like an egg. It's a shell, there's white, there's yolk. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Makes sense, right? Maybe. Except the problem is the shell is not the egg, right? Without the white and the yolk, it's, it's just shell. Oh, but remember, all, all three persons are fully God. Jesus is fully God. He's not just shell. He's a whole kit and caboodle. The Spirit is fully God. And so when we say God is like an egg, uh, well, it doesn't work. In, in fact, if you take this image too far, you end up in... 
in a belief called partialism. Some people believe that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are each one-third God. One-third, 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 you put them together, that's called partialism, that's a heresy. If you, if you follow this line of thinking too much, you end up here, you end up maybe in tritheism, which means Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're, they're three different gods. There's not one God, there's three gods. That's what Mormons believe, that there's three gods, not one. No, no, God's not like this. It doesn't work. He's one. Three persons in, one. So some people, well, he's not like an egg. So some people say, well, he's like the sun. God is like the sun, and the S-U-N sun is the father, right? And, and then Jesus is the light, and the spirit is the warmth. And the only way we know about this, the, the, the S-U-N sun, the only way we know about the father is by the light and the warmth of Jesus and the spirit. That's how we know who the father is. Well, yeah, sort of sounds good, maybe. Except light and warmth are not the sun. They're just produced by the sun. See, some people believe, in fact, on that survey, nearly 50% of people believe that Jesus was the first and highest created being of God. Nope. Jesus is fully God. The Spirit is fully God. So God is like the Son. Nope. He, he, he's not. The, the Son and the Spirit were all... Jesus and the Spirit were always around. And so some people say God is like water. Right? right? So solid, liquid, gas, three states, but it's all water. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this kind of makes a little bit of sense. Right? Water can exist in all three, three of these states. Now, the, most of the time, though, water is not all three at once. There are, there are some times, I was reminded in my pastor's meeting this week, there are some times where water can be all three at once. I I can't figure that out. But most of the time, water is just either liquid, solid, or gas. It's not all three. But, so this kind of sort of gives us an idea, but it's incomplete. It, it's incomplete because God is eternally, simultaneously, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You follow this line of thinking too far, you end up in a, in a doctrine called modalism, where, where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are just three aspects of who God is. He's, he's one God, and he just shows up sometimes as Father. Sometimes. No, no, no. He was always Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All the, the way back, forever, he has been. So you say, okay, well, these pictures, if you use them, I, I would just encourage you to understand what you're not saying. So you don't end up in error of what the Trinity actually is. So what is the Trinity like? What's a good picture of the Trinity? There isn't one. What is God like? God's, God's like nothing you have ever known. God is like nothing you have ever seen. God is holy in all of himself. You know what the angels said when Isaiah saw a vision of God? The angels flew around God and they said, holy, 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 holy. And I think one of the things they were they were noticing, imagine these angels flying around God and seeing different aspects of who he is and every time they open that they've got wings covering their eyes but every time they open their eyes they see another aspect of who God is holy man he's like no other I see his love he's like no other but person in his love he's pure he's like no one else in purity he's glorious he's like no one else in glory he is holy 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 Every way that God is God is like nothing you've ever known or seen. So God is holy. God is love. He tends his flock 
Verse 11 says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. You see how God doesn't just provide for his people. That's what shepherds do. They provide for dirty, smelly, stinky sheep. He's not just providing. He carries them close to his heart. He loves them. God is loving like that. He's passionate. He's tender. God is love. Let's pick this one up and look at it a little bit. 1 Corinthians 13, one of the most famous passages on love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is what the love of God, this is the love we're called to, but this is what God is like. He is always patient. He is always kind. He's merciful. He's forgiving. He's good. He's gracious. He is unfailing in his love. We say, well, yeah, God is loving. Shrug, yawn. Gordon Fee is a theologian who had to write a, uh, he was writing a commentary on 1 Corinthians, and he came to 1 Corinthians 13. Greatest chapter, greatest poetry, and he just sat for a long time. He's like, what am I supposed to say about this? Am I supposed to bog this down with words? What can I possibly comment on this to improve on, on this? He sat and meditated. He thought, for, you see, he, he dug, picked it up and he just looked for a long time. He just kept pouring water. What, I, I can't even put words around this. And in prayer, God said to him, Gordon, you know I love you like this, right? Patient, kind, merciful, forget. Yeah, God, I know you love me like this. I know that. In prayer, he heard this question, what if it weren't so? And he wept for an hour. What if God didn't love us like this? What if his love was more like mine? Temperamental? Moody? Just loved when it benefited me? was kind of partial. What if his love was halfway? What if he only loved when we were lovable? What if he only loved when he got something out of it? What if he only loved a little bit at a time? What if it weren't so? And yet it's not. His love is holy. His love is like no other love you have experienced. His love is this, and then some. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His love is holy, and we've got to just go a little deeper. First John says this, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. You know, so we talked about the Trinity, right? And all this heady stuff. What does it mean that God is one in three persons? And, 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 and yes, we talked about intellectually what that can mean. But, but here's the point. Here's where the rubber meets the road. God is love. You ask anybody from any other religion if their God is loving, you know what they're going to say? Yes. Sure. Allah, whatever God, yeah, they're loving. 
Ask them, who did they love before creation? There's no answer. Because they've got one God, that's it. But God, our God, the one true God is love. Who did he love before creation? Father loved Son and Spirit. Son loved Father and Spirit. Spirit loved Father and Son. God is love existing in eternal perpetual relationship. Explain it. I can't. I just know God is love. This is what Tim Keller says about the the Trinity. He says this, The life of the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness, but by mutually self-giving love. When we delight and serve someone else, we enter into a dynamic orbit around him or her. We center on the interests and desires of the other that creates a dance. Particularly if there are three persons, each of whom moves around the other two. This is what the Bible tells us is so. Each of the divine persons centers upon the others. None demands that the others revolve around him. Each voluntarily circles the other two, pouring love, delight, and adoration into them. Each person of the Trinity loves, adores, defers, and rejoices in the others. God is love. And do you know that that is the relationship we're invited to? Like, like God is Trinity, but do you know it's not a closed club anymore? Jesus said he came so that, so that his followers might experience the love, the love that he had for the Father and the Father had for him since the beginning of creation. And before that, we are invited into this, into this same fellowship of the Trinity. Can you imagine if the life of the Trinity defined our lives? Characterized not by self-centeredness, but by mutually self-giving love. That's that's what we're invited into, a relationship of mutually self-giving love. I want to talk about one thing that's been a foundation here at Grace Fellowship Church, and that's presence-based leadership. I was listening, hearing uh, from our overseer, Keith Yoder. He he taught us in presence-based leadership, and of course he said, well, it's not really about leadership, it's about living. It's presence-based living. And here's how he talks, here's what that means. It means leading from a posture of rest in and from the circle of Trinity fellowship. Do you know that we are invited into this relationship and can just rest in fellowship with God? We don't have to be center, we don't have to be first, we don't have to be in control because He is. There's no demands that life revolve around us because it doesn't. We're invited into this relationship, but this relationship takes risk. So, so here's how we define presence-based leadership. And it's, there's, this is on a handout, too. On your way out, you can pick this up. But this is how we operate and how we seek to operate at Grace Fellowship Church. We don't do it perfectly, but we try. Presence-based leadership is this, guiding others by practicing sensitivity and submission to the presence and direction of Jesus. Abiding moment to moment in his strength, peace, wisdom, life, and love of his person. Surrendering, listen, surrendering all discernment, all conversations, all attitudes, all opinions, all plans, all actions, all reputation, all authority to Christ's authority and purpose. Have you ever walked into a meeting and you're ready to have, you got your agenda? 
You got your plan? You know what has to happen in this decision at the end of the meeting? We walk into our meetings and we've learned that this, that's not the way to walk in. To walk, the way to walk in is this, to lay our agenda down, to lay our plans down at the center, to lay our thoughts down at the center, to deposit them before the Lord. That presence-based is actually acting, not with myself first, not with my ideas first, but putting them center to the, hear from the Lord who's in control. We don't walk this perfectly, but you walk into an outer meeting, this is how we try to walk. You walk into a staff meeting or a pastor's meeting, this is how we try to walk. Where did we get this? We got this from the Trinity. We got this from others who have gone before and said there is a different way to lead. There's a different way to live, to walk into a room and surrender in self-giving love rather than self-centeredness. But it takes risk. I wonder in what relationships you could risk this. Could you walk to family dinner and surrender your thoughts and opinions and agendas just at the center of the table and just be present, abiding moment to moment in the presence of each other and the Lord? Can we lay down ourselves and enter into a relationship of self-giving love? So God is holy. God is love. And God is eternal. Just for the last moments here, I just want to touch on this. God is eternal. This is what it says in verse 8, that the word of the Lord stands forever. People are we're like grass. We fade. We go quick. But God doesn't go quick. His word doesn't go quick. And he doesn't go quick. You know, we live with limits. We know what it is to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Someday, unless Jesus comes back, we're all going to die. But imagine this. God has no ending. He's eternal. Imagine what that means for a minute. He's not limited the way we're limited. He is unlimited in every way. Not just that he has no end. He has no beginning. You go back to creation. He was there. You go back before creation. Eons and eons and eons. And he was there. We can't imagine what it is to not have a beginning. And yet God had no beginning. He's unlimited by time. He's unlimited by power. He's omnipotent. There is nothing, literally nothing, that is impossible with God. So let's forget our silly questions about can God make a rock bigger than he can lift, but just think about this, that nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing in your life is impossible with God. And if he has all power, he's self-existence. You know, he, he doesn't need anything. He didn't make us because he was lonely. He doesn't have any needs from us. He exists entirely within himself. And it, he has no limits of place. He's everywhere. Everywhere you go today, he is there. Not because he got there first, but because he was already there. He's there now. And he's still here now. He's, he's everywhere. And just like he's everywhere, he's every when. He's omnitemporal. He is at all times, he is. He is unchanging. The same yesterday, today, and forever. If God is unlimited, if God is eternal, think about it. He is unchanging. How do we mark change? Time passes. And I get gray hair and wrinkles, and you do too. That's how we know time passes. God is outside of time. He never changes. 
You say, wow, this is big, this is heady. Yeah, shrug, yawn. No, you know what this means? He's faithful. Like that's, that's why to sit and ponder that God is eternal because it, it reinforces the fact that he's faithful because otherwise we hear God is faithful and we yawn and we shrug, right? If you ask me to describe my minivan, you know what I'll say about my minivan? It's faithful. Still going. It is not flashy. It is not fast. It is not comfortable a lot of the times. You know what it is? It's, fa- it, it, it's still running. <laughs> it's faithful. Shrug, yawn, faithful. That's our attitude toward faithfulness because it just keeps going, right? Nothing ever changes if it's faithful. Nothing ever changes. But listen, praise God, nothing ever changes. Do you know why you can take your next breath? Because he's faithful. You know why this world hasn't exploded yet? Because he's holding it together, atom by atom, molecule by molecule. He is unchanging in every way. He's unchanging in his thoughts. He's unchanging in his being. He's unchanging in his person. In his word, in his heart, in his decisions, in his intentions, in his purposes, in his promises. Nothing ever changes in any of that. He's faithful. How how do we trust that? I mean, how do we really trust that God is faithful? How do we trust in such a way that we're going to soar and that we're going to run without growing weary and that we're going to walk and not faint? You know, trust takes inventory. We, we've said trust takes time. I've got I've to pick this up and I've got to look at it and I've got to admire it enough to know that this is, this is real. There's more here than meets the eye. I've got to, it takes time. It takes risk. Am I going to step in and believe that God actually might come through in this moment? Where can you take a risk in a relationship or in your life in this moment to actually trust God and release control? And trust takes inventory. You know how you figure out that you can walk by faith? That, that we will walk, when we trust God, that we'll walk and not faint? You know how you figure it out? By walking and not fainting. By taking one step at a time. Are there moments in your life, are there trials that you have gone through, there are that I've gone through, where I have felt like I'm done? I am not going to make it. There is nowhere from here I can go. I am going to faint, and I don't see a Lord, and I need this. I need to trust you like this. I can look back at the... Wait a second. I can look back at times like that? Can you look back at times like that? Do you remember feeling like that last year or last month or last decade? You can look back at a time where you felt like you couldn't go on, and yet you went on. You didn't faint. God established your steps. One step at a time. Are we taking inventory of the steps that he has us through? Or are we just desperate in our situation thinking, I'm going to faint on this one, God. But look at all the times he didn't let you faint. Have you taken inventory of all the times that he was faithful? Of all the times that he was good? Of all the times that he just kept going? And you didn't notice it because it wasn't flashy. And it didn't seem fast. It was just one step at a time. But that's how we develop trust. It's not a switch that we flip. It takes time. 
It takes risk. And risk by risk, step by step, we learn to trust a God who is always there. Will we trust him today? Family of grace, let's bow our heads and pray. Lord God, you are bigger than anything we can conceive of. You are bigger than any words we could ever speak. You're bigger than any thoughts we could ever think. Your thoughts are higher than the heavens are above the earth. Your ways higher than our ways, God. Lord, there are ways we have shrugged and yawned and grown apathetic to who you are. Lord, I pray that you would awaken us freshly to who you are, God, to all that that means for our lives. You are beyond anything we can understand, and yet you have invited us into relationship. You've invited us into fellowship with yourself. You've said, come and get to know me, and I will show you what I'm like. I'll show you who I am. God, we want to see. So, Lord, I pray as, as we turn to worship again, that you would strip away anything we are looking at besides you. And that we would recognize you for who you are. A God who is all of these things, holy and loving and good and faithful and far, far more. God, I pray that you would lead us to know you in greater ways so that we might love you more deeply. Lord, as we turn our hearts to praise of you now, let all of the other distractions fade away. And let us rest in who you are. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Grace, would you stand to your feet and let's worship in one, one more time. <laughs>